bow in prayer together this morning. Lord God, we thank you that you sent your son Jesus Christ to die in our place. We deserve death, separation from you. And yet he died for us. And now by your mercy and your grace, you've commissioned us to go and lift up the cross and to not rely on the world's wisdom, but according to your wisdom and a demonstration of your spirit and power, proclaim the gospel of the cross. And so we pray that as we come to your word this morning, we would behold the glories of your love in a deeper, richer way. We pray that we would understand your plans for us, that we would be reignited to serve, to be on mission, to declare the gospel of grace. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. IQ, intelligence quotient. How many of you know, I'm a little curious, how many of you know your your IQ score? Now we know where all the smart ones sit. (laughs) Intelligence quotient. So this is a score that is supposed to determine, I guess, your mental agility and your mental ability. Not necessarily how much education you may have, but how, how agile you are with your brain. So I have a couple IQ questions for you this morning. You ready? Well, awake? All right. Had your coffee? Okay. So here's the first one. You might want to write this down. A travel agent has taken 53 bookings for Thailand, 22 for Bali, and 23 for India. How many bookings have been made for Canada? You go, how am I supposed to know, Right? <laughs> Some of you already know the answer. I can see it in your eyes. Those of you who raised your hands. I, I, I met someone here who's a member of our church. Actually, he's a part of a society established in England in 1946 called Mensa. You've heard that before? Uh, people with really high IQ, the top 2 or 3% in all the world. And uh, this person here, actually, uh, I don't know how we got started in that conversation, but he does not put on an air of being smarter than everybody else, yet he's extremely intelligent. Okay, so you got your answer. Do you know? Anybody want to take a guess? A travel agent has taken 53 bookings for Thailand, 22 for Bali, and 23 for India. How many bookings have been made for Canada? In the back, I see a hand in the balcony. What do you think? 75. Well, let's see what the answer is. Put it up for us, Eric. 33. Oh, come on. The number of consonants in each country's name equals the first digit, and the number of vowels equals the second. How many of you had that all figured out? Come on. Who has time to think about this kind of stuff? All right, I got another one. This one might be a little bit easier. Maybe. Okay, this is, these are sample questions actually from a Mensa test. So IQ test. <laughs> Replace each set of dashes with a seven-letter word. The same seven letters must be used for both words. What are the words? So you can have different words in each space, but they have to use the same seven letters, okay? The mother said that continually sorting out the children's had given her a headache, and she needed a couple of... Any guesses on that? Now, they have to be the same seven letters, but not the same words. Or I suppose they could be the same words, but I don't know if you can make sense. The mother said that continually sorting out the children's had given her a headache, and she needed a couple of... How many of you are ready to say this is way too much mental agility for 11 o'clock in the morning on a Sunday? (laughs) Yeah, I need more coffee. 
Maybe a caffeine pill, something. All right, what's the answer? We're all stumped. The mother said that continually sorting out the children's battles had given her a headache and she needed a couple of tablets. How many moms are there right now? Right there, right now. There's a hand, several. All right, yes. <laughs> okay, enough with the intelligence quotient stuff. Now, there's nothing necessarily wrong with measuring one's intelligence or having a high IQ, but there is something that can be very dangerous about touting one's intelligence as a measure of spiritual maturity or as a measure of usefulness in the kingdom or as a measure of usefulness at all. There are people that have an extremely high IQ that have been uniquely used by God. I think of a man like Ravi Zacharias. I heard him speak at Moody Founders Week earlier this year, and I'm like, this guy's brain. I mean, wow, we. Some people are uniquely used by God with a high IQ, and yet there are others who have an extremely high IQ who bring great havoc to God's people and do nothing useful with their lives. And so having a measure of intelligence does not indicate the measure of our spiritual maturity or usefulness in God's mission. Do you agree with that this morning? You can have, be really smart but me missing the essential ingredient for growing as a follower of Jesus Christ. You can have a high IQ and yet be missing the essential ingredient for becoming, growing in the faith, growing to become mature in Jesus Christ. So what is that essential ingredient for growing in maturity, for growing in the likeness of Jesus Christ? God's word rings with this message from the Old Testament across through the New Testament, that the, I'm going to say even the essential ingredient that we need that comes out of the Word and the Holy Spirit, okay? The Word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, the essential ingredient that you and I need for growing, for becoming spiritually mature, is wisdom. It's wisdom. What did Solomon ask of God when God said, I'll give you anything you want? Wisdom and understanding to lead these people. The sages of old understood that if you had wisdom, everything else, and not the wisdom of man, that's the difference, true wisdom. But if you had true wisdom, everything else would sort of fall into place. You can have all kinds of smarts. You can have a score of 170 or 180 on an IQ test and have no wisdom at all. Really have no usefulness in the kingdom, and not grow spiritually mature. James, as he continues in his letter, which is really more like a sermon, he's moved past his central thesis statement that faith without works is dead, and that genuine, authentic faith produces beautiful works. It produces real works, good works, grace works, works that are ordained by God for us, that have been called and have been adopted by, uh, by God, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, receive new life in Jesus Christ, that these works come out of faith and the two go hand in glove. You can't have genuine saving faith without grace works, fruits in your life. The, the two are always together. And there may be varying scales of that, varying levels of that, but if you have genuine faith, you're going to produce good works. You can have good words all the time, but if you do no good works, your, your faith is good for nothing. 
And so after completing his central statement in, the ch- in chapter 2, he then talks about how we use our mouths, what we talk about, how we use this tongue. And the tongue is a fire, he says, beginning of chapter 3. With our mouths, with what we say, with our words, we can create firestorms in marriages, in families, in sibling relationships, in businesses, in churches, in countries. Literally, wars are started with words. Wars wound. But our mouths are not just by themselves, right? It's not just over here somewhere. They're attached to what? They're attached to our heads. And they are governed by what? Our brain, our minds, They're attached and they're governed by what we think. And so James goes on and continues in chapter 3, what governs. And and you're going to see this contrast between true wisdom and false wisdom. God's wisdom, wisdom from above, and false wisdom. False wisdom is that which is from the world, earthly, man-devised. Truism is God-designed, sourced in God. False wisdom is that which is sourced in man, in our own ability, in our mental agility. What could be demonstrated on an intelligence quotient test, but is completely useless for spiritual maturity. Because big mouths are often attached to big heads. (laughs) Big mouths are often attached to big heads. Not always, I suppose. So turn with me to James chapter 3. We're going to see what is the essential ingredient. This contrast, comparison, true wisdom, false wisdom, and, and what you and I need. The characteristics of true wisdom, the characteristics of false wisdom, and then clear application. What, how does this work today? How does this work in our lives? How does this work in our lives So writing to Jewish believers, remember, scattered around the diaspora to the north and the east specifically, James is writing to people that are surrounded by a general idea of hostility, persecution, societal rejection. They're facing difficulty from without, trials from without, but they're also facing temptations from within. And that ties into our application of this letter, this epistle of James, the half-brother of Jesus. Because his commands to them apply to the church and how we respond to each other within, the, tri- the temptations, how we, re- how we respond to God and to one another, but they also apply to how we respond to people outside of the new covenant community of the Spirit, those who are outside of the new life in Jesus Christ. So James chapter 3, look with me in verse 13, 13 through 18, 13 through 18, James chapter 3. He writes this. Here's a question. Who among you is wise and understanding? Well, there are no self-confessed fools, right? Even the fool says he is wise in his own eyes. Proverbs 12, 15. Proverbs 3, 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn from evil. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And an atheist does not think he is not wise. He thinks he is wise. There are no self-confessed fools. Now, some of us might think, well, my IQ, maybe, maybe it's 105, and somebody else has got 140 or 160, or, or I, you know, I'm 99 or whatever. Some of us might think we're not as smart as other people, but we're talking about wisdom and understanding here. And so this question that James launches out with is a question that everybody would say, well, I think I'd 
generally have some wisdom and understanding about life. So if you, brothers and sisters, he writes, if you have wisdom and understanding, show it. Show it. Look at, look at 13 again, second half. Let him show by his good behavior. So now generally he's saying through your beautiful works, the word good comes from, <clears throat> excuse me, this Greek word, kales. It means to be beauty, it means have, to have beauty or attractive actions that you, what you do is, is beautiful and pure and lovely that even the unbelievers and the believers look on your, wor- on your works, on your deeds, and they think, these are good things that this person is doing. So if you have wisdom and understanding, it's supposed to show up in your life. This ties back to what he's been saying. If you have genuine faith, you produce grace works. That's what God has ordained for you. That's what God has ordained for you. So true wisdom, true wisdom first, at first guides us to humbly serve others. Look at the continuing line of verse 13 here. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds. So generally, so your, your behavior, it also could be translated your manner of life. Or First Peter talks about your good conversation. It's the same idea, similar words even. Your good conversation, your beautiful manner of life before men. And now his deeds specific, and that word is to every single little part of our lives. Every part, nothing excluded, is supposed to be demonstrating this wisdom and understanding. True wisdom is more shown than heard. True wisdom is more shown than heard. And we can talk and talk and talk a good game. I can talk and talk and talk a good game, but... True wisdom is more shown than heard. So show by his good behavior, his deeds, in the gentleness of wisdom or in the the wisdom that that is flowing out of a gentle spirit. You see, James, the half brother of Jesus, heard Jesus say things like, Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Same word here. Now, the world way of, when we say meek, they often think you're just kind of spineless. Some kind of like, you know, like jello in your spine. You just let people walk all over you. You're just, you're thinking just every, about everybody else and you're never considering yourself. But the word gentleness or meekness in the biblical context is, is not a spinelessly let everybody walk all over you, but actually the strength of a Mustang, the strength of a horse that's harnessed. Harnessed by whom? By God. And that we're not weak, but we're meek. We're not passive, but we're strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. And out of that gentle love and meekness that we recognize it doesn't come from us, but it comes from God who's producing in us these good deeds, this beautiful behavior. So we are to demonstrate this through humbly serving others. This, these deeds that demonstrate our wisdom is from God, you see. Guides us to humbly serve others. Now, we can have our minds filled with all kinds of information. Internet is called information highway for good reason because you can find just information, random facts, trivia about just about anything you want. 
but we can have our minds intaking all of this information and yet be no wiser than we were without the information. See, it's what you do with what you know that really matters because true wisdom is more shown than heard. God's kind of wisdom, the wisdom and understanding that comes from God, guides us to humbly serve others, show these beautiful works, to care for one another. Now here's the contrast to false wisdom. Look at verse 14. False wisdom, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. Bitter jealousy could also be translated rivalry. It's this attitude that if, if I see something that somebody else has and I don't have it even though I have what I need, I don't have what I want because I see what they have and I want what they, want, what they have and so I'm going to be even, you can almost taste it in your mouth. That's this picture I get from the word bitter, you know. It's like, I want that and they have it and I don't have it. So I'm going to envy I'm going to rival myself against them. Maybe this happens in the workplace. Maybe this happens in the church. We can't assume that this is just a quote-unquote layperson issue. The common phrase in pastors' conferences, ministry conferences among pastors when they meet each other is, so well, how many are you running on Sunday morning? You know? And then the other pastor might throw in like, you know, how their budget's doing, if it's going good at that point in time, you know. Or, well, I, you know, this is how many baptisms we had last year. How, how many did you have? What's God doing in your place? You know, we kind of coated over with sugar word, you know, sugar coating, spiritual sounding words, you know. What, what's God doing there? You know, oh, oh, okay. Well, I'm running 1,100. Oh, wow, you know. You see, <laughs> that's rivalry. It's, it's jealousy. It's False wisdom. Don't lie against the truth, you know. False wisdom, false wisdom provokes us to serve ourselves, selfishly serve ourselves. False wisdom provokes us. Like, well, if everybody out there, they have it, then, then I... I I've got to show somehow through twisting the truth or even kind of stretching the facts. I come up with a giant fish story about my job or my family or my church or my home or something so that, so that it looks like I've got really good stuff going on in my life, you see. And then we serve ourselves, even in the job and in family and church, so that our story looks better than maybe it really is. Often this kind of comes out in social media, I'm just as guilty of social media mistakes as anybody. So anytime I point, I realize the other fingers are all pointing at me, you know. So. But social media, you know, I heard someone say, it's almost like, this is from a, um, Sarah Groves, a Christian music artist. She said, it's almost like everybody's having a great party all the time on Facebook and every, the life is just happy and chipper, and they have pictures of their smiling kids and their happy family and their new house and their, and their cake and their ice cream and their favorite music, and they're just coasting along, and I'm, I'm missing out on the party that everybody else is having, you know. And so we kind of put out there kind of what's going on. Here's what's going great in, in our lives, you know, so sort of serving ourselves. We want people to think well of us. And this is why James says, don't be, don't be arrogant and boastful about that and so lie against the truth. You know what the truth is. False wisdom says, 
stretch the story. Make yourself look better than you really are. Often this is sort of a cheap shot, but politicians, and of course it's election year, and, and so you hear these presidential campaigns going on, and, and they have lots and lots of campaign promises about all the things they're going to do. And this is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun with politics. But they come up with all sorts of things. We're going to have better jobs. We're going to have more money for you. More money for us too, but more money for you. And we're going to have, you're going to have a better car or, you, or all kinds of things. Lower taxes, higher taxes. But if we have higher taxes, it'll be better for you. If you have lower taxes, it'll be better, better for you. And you know, around in circles, trying to make sure that everybody thinks that they're the best, you see, so that we vote for them. And ultimately, they're selfishly serving themselves. I trust there are some people in politics who have integrity, but the jury's out this year. You guys aren't laughing at that one. Speaks lies and boasts to get ahead. That's false wisdom. But I often think, too, about our own... I don't know if any of you are running for office, but maybe we all are running for office to have a better name among our friends, right? Aren't we? We're in that circle in the foyer or on the water cooler at work or in our, in our neighborhood. And we say things kind of like, well, you know, my son is on the honor roll. Four years in a row, he's going to West Point. No. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, true, right? But why? Why do we say things, you know? My kids are the cutest. They just are. I actually believe that right now. Yeah, maybe. Depends how Hudson's behaving right now. <laughs> Lies boast to get ahead, you know. We want people to think that because of the credentials, maybe the letters after our name, that we're somehow better than someone else. Superior. You're caught into that, that downward cycle. The measure of our intelligence it doesn't necessarily indicate the measure of our spiritual maturity or the measure of our fruitfulness. There are pastors who have all kinds of letters after their names, multitude of honorary doctorates and earned PhDs and all sorts of master's degrees, and they can study the Greek and Hebrew better than I can. And, and some of them that I know personally have fallen out of the ministry completely no fruit because they were selfishly serving themselves. Lies, boasts to get ahead, creating sort of a, a collective just built around themselves so that people think big of them instead of great how great God is. It, ha- it happens in the business world. You climb the corporate ladder. Maybe it's like this. You, you, you say something. We say something about somebody else so that it casts us in a more favorable light than them. You say something about somebody else to bring them down. Maybe it doesn't make you look any better, but it makes them lower. So you're here, they're down here now in somebody else's eyes. That's Speaking lies and gossip slander. It goes around offices, goes around factories, goes around homes, goes around churches, goes around countries. So that somebody else is kind of getting ahead. That's false wisdom. To get ahead. This wisdom, look at verse 15. 
this wisdom, this so-called wisdom, you could put quotation marks around that. You could say, this is not really true wisdom. This so-called wisdom is not that which comes down from above. It's not from God. It's not from heaven. It's not heaven sent. It's not God empowered. It's not God designed. It doesn't come down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. It's not necessarily that demons that are, are controlling all of this going on, but that Satan himself is pleased with these kinds of attitudes. In fact, he and his cohorts rejoice over the fact that God's people sometimes act these ways. Arrogant, boastful, telling lies, trying to get ahead, cutting people down, rivalry. Earthly means that it comes not from God, it comes from my own brain, our own minds. We're trying to figure this thing out, trying to see how we can step on somebody else's toes up the corporate ladder, step on their hands. That even hurts more. (laughs) Put ourselves up in more favorable light to our supervisor, to the corporate board, so they'll call us to the next position up and not that other person. And the result of that, the result of that he gives us, verse 16, for we're jealousy, same word, jealousy and selfish ambition that's that rivalry it's that i want what they want i don't have it so i'm going to somehow figure out how to get it and i'm going to use my intellect my intelligence quotient to do that selfish ambition gearing my life around not god's mission serving others humbly and with gentleness with the strength that god provides but instead this ambition that i want to make something of myself i want people to know my name I want people to, to, know, to know what's going on with me, and so I'm always going to talk about myself and look, make myself look great. And where these exist, there is disorder. And this is a really hard word to pronounce in the Greek. The Greek word for disorder is akatastasia. You want to try to say that? Akatastasia. It's like, yeah. It's hard to say on purpose because it, it means chaos. It means disarray. It means disorder. It means everything is in this swirling cycle of mess. And that's what's going on some, maybe in some of your lives right now. Or maybe your family or maybe in our country. And every evil thing, all kinds of evil come out of this destruction but the promise of proverbs 3 7 and 8 ring true though to god's people do not be wise in your own eyes but fear the lord and turn from evil and it shall be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones that god has blessing for those who walk according to his way but don't think of themselves as wise in their own eyes but fear the lord and here is the definition of wisdom The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of holy brings understanding. To be wise, not in my own eyes, not in worldly wisdom, not in false wisdom, but to be wise as God provides for his people is meaning, it means that I fall on my face in reverential awe of who God is, and when I'm confronted with God's holiness, I think less of me and more of him every day. I don't think more of myself than I ought. Instead, I bow low to God and recognize that he is holy and he is just and he is perfect in all of his ways and that his word is perfect. It converts the soul. It guides my steps. It is a light to my path. 
that kind of posture, that kind of attitude is the definition of wisdom. The God who made us will guide us when we're submitted to him rather than submitted to our own intelligence quotient. And to turn from evil. Every evil thing comes out of earthly wisdom. Man-made rescue plans, man-made business plans for the church or for our lives. George Washington Carver, how many of you are familiar with him? Really interesting guy. Loved the Lord, Christian man, renowned scientist. In a day when African-American men were, were sidelined, to be honest, from our culture. He was a brilliant man, scientist, solid Christian. And people would come to him and wonder, how did you get all these inventions? He had some uh, hundreds of ways to use the peanut because the peanut would grow well in the south part, the southern states. And so he came up with this all sorts of ways to use the peanut, peanut oil, peanut butter, pe- on and on and on, using it for fuel. And he said, well, I, I get on my knees and I say, God help I'm asking God for wisdom. Isn't that what James said at the beginning of his letter? If anyone lacks wisdom, and that's me, is that you this morning? I don't know the answer to this. I need your help, God. Help! And God gives, not with reprimand, but generously. He doesn't say, why are you asking me for help? Can't you figure it out on your own? He says, no, no, I'm going to give you the wisdom that you need for the troubles that you face, for the difficulties that you're in, for the circumstances that you can't sort out on your own. That's how good our loving God is for his people. So he calls us not to the disarray and the chaos. That's the, the final result of false wisdom is that it reaps a harvest of chaos and evil. The fruit on the tree of false wisdom, of man-made wisdom, of worldly wisdom is destruction, is ultimately death. The wisdom books in the Old Testament point to the way of folly, the way, of the, of the way that rejects God's wisdom, the way of the person who's wise in his own eyes leads to destruction, ultimately leads to death. But the way according to wisdom, oh, would you stay near to her, personifies wisdom. As a woman to pursue, you're to pursue wisdom. We're to pursue God's wisdom that would guide our lives. And so he defines wisdom this way. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering and without hypocrisy. The reason why first is there is not that, oh, this is just the first in a list, but it's first in priority. Because when wisdom comes from pure motives, when wisdom comes from a pure conduct, when wisdom comes from pure attitudes, all these other character- characteristics flow out of it. You see? Pure motives. What is my motive? What is my motive for working? What is my motive for loving? What is my motive for leading? What is my motive for parenting? What is my motive for teaching? What is my motive for preaching? What is my motive for praying? What is it pure before you, O oh God? Do I expand the story so that other people will feel or think better of me and, and less of another person? It's what I say or what I think, what I do motives, 
conduct, attitude, pure, according to God's way, according to his word. Because when we are governed by this true wisdom that is pure, and then it's, uh, it's peaceable, it produces peace. We walk to people, walk over to someone who's troubled, or maybe someone who's a troublemaker, and because our motives are governed by God, though not pure all the time, seeking for pure motives, allowing the Holy Spirit and the work, Word to, to filter over our lives, to refine, to burn away the chaff, and when we walk over to someone who's struggling or causing trouble, we're peacemakers. Recognize that we, we struggle too. That's why it's gentle. We know that it's such a great cost. Our sins were paid for through the blood of the cross. And we respond to other people with gentleness, meekness, self-control. These are fruits of the Holy Spirit to those who receive new life in Jesus Christ. Reasonable implies that when, we, when we're dealing with somebody else, maybe out in the culture, here's where it goes to the trials from without. We're not picking fights. We know what the right battles are. We stand firm for the truth. We live according to God's way. But we're not walking around punching noses or making verbal abuse. And we're kind to one another, reasonable. Look at the next word, reasonable, gentle, full of mercy and good fruits. It's this picture of a, of a cup like brimming over with kindness towards people. And I automatically thought of John chapter 1 when John wrote, And we beheld his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. We've all received him. We've all received of him, from him, grace upon grace. It's like waves on the she- seashore that never stop, lapping up on the shore. That's God's grace towards his children. The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, John wrote. And so those who received new life in Jesus Christ were brimming over with that life, that mercy, that kindness that we've received from God to give to those who maybe don't know his kindness or desperately need it right then in that moment when they're hurting or struggling. Full of mercy, brimming over, grace upon grace, pouring that, and that brings good fruits. It's like a cup of water pouring on maybe somebody in your life as roots that are dried out. We planted some, some flowers out here around our sign this past week, and then Thursday they got a little water, it rained. Friday, I watered them a little bit. By Saturday, it was really hot. Yesterday, it was really hot, and I wasn't around. Darius thankfully watered them by the end of the day, but some of them were looking really, really wilted. People who are walking according to God's wisdom are reasonable. They're gentle. They're attentive. They're They have pure motives. They're not trying to build themselves up, so they're looking at the needs of others, and they say, how can I pour the water of mercy, you know, on your life, full of mercy, brimming over, grace upon grace, and that brings good fruit in someone else's life, also in our lives. That's the way it works in God's agenda, in God's kingdom. See how that works? Displays gentleness and purity and peace unwavering. It also is, means impartial or fair in judgment. Steadfast, we know what is right. We're objective. See, these things can't come from our own mind, right? 
I mean, the more you look at this list and go, reasonable, all the time, impartial, fair in judgment, unwavering, peaceable, full of mercy. I don't have those characteristics in and of myself. We don't, do we? This is the wisdom that comes from God by the Spirit and the Word. Changes our lives. And the result of this is ultimately peace. Peace. It's without hypocrisy. He writes, it's not two-faced in the seed whose fruit is righteousness. Or the, the fruit, seed or fruit is the same word in the Greek, karpon or karpos. Fruit or harvest or seed. That fruit that consists of righteousness, that's right living, righteous living, righteous before God because of what God is doing in us. And that fruit that consists of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so in a world that is contradicting themselves all the time, in a world that is opposed to us and what we believe, among people from without who disagree with us and sometimes from within where we face our own disagreements, we're going to be peacemakers as we allow God's wisdom to filter down into our minds and into our hearts and then shown through our hands. It's James' central idea. It's not good enough to just fill our minds with intellectual thought, information, intake, but to allow it to transform our hearts, transform our actions. Show it. Truism is more shown than heard. It's beautiful. It's good because it's of God. It's kind. And it reaps a harvest of peace and righteousness. Remember when I showed that picture of an apple a few weeks ago? It just makes me hungry right there. Just pick that apple off the tree, bite into it. It's beautiful, see? It's, kind, it's good. It's attractive. And God's desire for his people is not that we just soak in a lot of truth information, but allow truth to life application to occur in us. And it's beautiful. It's good. It draws people to behold the glories of God's love in us. The kindness of God to be seen in us. To be heard through our lips. So in the church, there's (laughs) no wise guys, no holier than thou, no I've arrived, no end all on all information is there. I like what Ron Blue said. He said this, Wisdom is not measured by degrees, but by deeds. It is not a matter of acquiring truth in lectures, but of applying truth to life. And so authentic faith, here's the central truth if you're keeping notes. Authentic faith displays true wisdom. Or that true wisdom is demonstrated by character of heart and attitude toward others. Character of heart and attitude toward others, not mere words. We can have heads full of information and big mouths showing all the information we know, have a high IQ, but what really produces good fruit in our lives is wisdom, true wisdom, God-ordained, God-designed, God-sourced wisdom, and it's beautiful, it's good. God is producing that in your life. I see it all the time. I see it all the time. On Wednesdays, during the school year, when many of you served little kids in Awana, and you're loving them and caring for them, you're serving them, and 
behind-the-scenes kind of work. Our sound guys, Mike and Connie Bishop aren't here. They're getting a much-needed vacation. And if they were here, we should give them a round of applause because they just love serving behind the scenes. They're never seeking attention for themselves. They're seeking the glory of God, the good of his church. They have wisdom. Mike and Connie would never say, oh, we've got high IQs. We're really useful for God. They're humbly serving others, you see. How does this really work today for our lives? Here's a do and a do not directly from the text. Do. Do show or do display. Do display. Do show or display these beautiful works. It's showing purity and peace in serving others, being a peacemaker, not a peace faker or a troublemaker. And do not act or speak with jealousy, rivalry, or self-centeredness toward others, but instead serve others. Because ultimately the big idea is this. It's not about me. It's not about you. Who is it about? It's about God and his glory. What is wisdom working in us? to the praise of his glory. I want you to bow your heads with me. The third application is really this, take the wisdom quotient. I want to read some questions from a wisdom quotient test that I put together, and our ushers are going to pass out this wisdom quotient test to you at the end of the service here. In the balcony, in the auditorium, make sure you get this. There's enough to go around to most everybody here. So close your eyes now and bow your heads. I want us to think about not an intelligence quotient, but a wisdom quotient that's governed by God's word. And allow these questions, these are questions for all of us to ask ourselves. Is this real in my life? Is it showing up through the authentic faith that God has given to me? Is it a production of God, not of myself? Do I speak and work toward building up others or building up myself? Do I show off my accomplishments, possessions, or talents to others or encourage the gifts and talents and skills of others? Do I seek to bring honor or attention to God or honor and attention to myself? Those are questions of pure in motive, pure in conduct. Am I relying on God's word and the spirit to guide my actions, govern my thoughts, and harness my tongue? Am I serving myself through my service or serving others? Why? Am I rejoicing in God's commandments and design for life or resisting them? Am I gentle and self-controlled when responding to a disagreement? Do I sometimes think I'm better than someone else? Why? Do I regularly believe I have the best ideas around the table? Do I think I deserve the best this life can offer because of my good behavior or intellect or productivity? Do I believe or act like I've reached a level of spiritual maturity that is superior to most others around me? Do I talk first and listen later or never? Do I readily forgive others with an attitude full of mercy when they offend me? Am I genuinely interested in and invested in the success of others or only my own success. Lord God, we allow these questions and your word to filter into our minds right now. We want you to refine us, and we know that's sort of a dangerous prayer because in that we're, act, we're asking that you bring conviction and change, and change is never easy. Bringing sandpaper to wood is uncomfortable for the wood. 
Oh, Lord, we're asking that you sand off the rough edges in our lives so that we and our lives, our testimony, a beautiful picture of your grace, that we bear fruit for your kingdom, that we don't build up our own kingdom agenda, but live according to your agenda and your kingdom for your mission, for your glory. And Lord, we know that we can't just stay with the status quo or even have one one foot into worldly man-devised wisdom and then also have a post-it note on our fridge about what your way is and kind of attach that together, but instead submit to you, bow to you, to your word, what you've said, your guide for life, for faith, for practice. And we confess right now that, yes, we have demonstrated false wisdom. We sometimes get caught up in rivalry or selfish ambition or vainglory, cause disorder, even acatastasia, a mess in our lives because of the choices we've made, the words we've spoken, our attitude towards others. Oh God, forgive me. Oh God, forgive us out of the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out our transgressions, wash us thoroughly from our iniquity, cleanse us from our sin. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer, we pray. Amen. Would you all stand with me?